Welcome to Encouraging Truths for Today. We're glad to bring you this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. Now please join us as we learn to grow deeper in our relationship with God and each other. Amen. One of my favorite books is an allegory by John Bunyan, a pilgrim who lived, uh, not a pilgrim, a Puritan that lived in the 1600s. It's called The Pilgrim's Progress. There's a scene where the Christian is traveling from the city of destruction to the celestial city, and it's a picture of the journey that we go in our faith. And he goes through valleys and challenges, facing enemies and receiving encouragement along the way. Then he comes to a place called the house or the palace beautiful. It's there that he is refreshed by friends. He is encouraged. Then the next day after he is rested, they take him into what is called the armory. And there he is amazed because it is full of everything you would need for battle. And here's what the, how the scene is described. They showed him all the equipment which their Lord had provided for pilgrims on this journey. A sword, shield, helmet, breastplate, all prayer, and shoes that would not wear out. And there was here enough of this equipment to equip as many men and women for service of the Lord as there be stars in the heavens. And that's the beauty of this that we're looking at. We're looking at the spiritual armor that God has given us. It is available to everyone who has put their faith and trust in Christ. Uh, you, you never have to fear that the shelf is empty. You never have to fear that it doesn't fit. You, you never have to fear that it's not available to you or you have to wait. God has made his spiritual armor completely available to completely dress every Christian for battle. So I want us to look at Ephesians 6 today. Again, and before we go through Ephesians 6 and the spiritual armor piece by piece, I just want to invite you as those friends of the pilgrim Christian on his journey, I want to invite you into God's armory, and I just want to show you in that armory everything that is available to us for the battle that we are involved in. And I want to remind you that if you are a Christian, a follower of Christ, you are always in active service. Now, you might be missing an action. You might be a prisoner of war. Uh, you might fall into trouble, but you are always on duty. And so our goal is to be prepared and ready for battle on a daily basis and a moment-by-moment -moment basis. And so I just want to walk you through God's armory of spiritual armor and take a, a broad view of it today, at how we are completely prepared for the battle that we face in our lives. Before I read the scripture, I want to read a quote from William Gurnall. 
from the Christian and complete armor. He says this, Satan divides his temptations into several squadrons. One he employs to assault here, another to storm there. God designs each part of the armor for a particular purpose. Therefore, the saint must be properly attired. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read verses 10 through 18 as we focus on God's spiritual armory. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemings of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in that evil day and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints." Let's pray together. Father, we recognize that the spiritual battle that rages against the truth of your son, the message of salvation that rages against your word and your kingdom is not our battle but yours. And so, Father, I pray that we would be faithful soldiers in the battle, that we would learn how to be equipped by you with the spiritual armor already provided and that we would begin to live in a new victory in our lives. Not because of our power, but because of your power and your might actively at work in us and through us. And so, Father, it's my prayer this morning as we open your word that we would hear your voice and that we would obey your commands. So, Father, please speak through me, because unless you speak, I have nothing at all to say. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So two things I want you to keep in mind as we walk through this passage. One is, God has a spiritual armory. We just read about that. The description is clear there and very graphically pictured for us 
what the armor looks like. But God has an armory. That means he has a supply of arms for defense and attack. Everything needed for defense or attack. Not only does God have an armory, but Satan has an arsenal. He has well-crafted weapons and ammunition to use on those who are members of the kingdom of God. And that arsenal is very, very good at being evil. An arsenal is a collection of weapons and ammunition. They are tailor-fit for specific temptations, specific weaknesses to bring down those who follow Christ. But the reality is our Heavenly Father has equipped us with everything we need for spiritual battle. And so in verses 10 through 13, we're commanded to take up the whole armor of God. We're told repeatedly to do that so that we can stand, withstand, and having done all, to stand. God's commands always carry with them his provision for us to obey. And so it's not just a command to stand, it's to stand in his power and his might, dressed in the full, whole armor of God. So it's important that we understand the big picture of this armory that God has invited us into today, that we might be prepared daily and hourly and moment by moment for spiritual battle. So as I've studied this passage through the years, I've come to find in my study that, that each of these pieces of armor do address Satan's arsenal. For instance, the first one, God has given us the belt of truth for Satan's arsenal of deception. Satan is a liar and the father of all lies. If you know someone that is a perpetual liar or deceiver, that's not just a a personality fault. That means that they've been hanging out with Satan's kids because he is a liar and the father of all lies. And those lies do not come just from them. That deception comes from Satan. But God has given us the belt of truth in his armory to address that arsenal of deception. Look there in verse 14. Therefore stand, having girded your waist with the belt of of truth, or having wrapped yourself in the belt of truth. Just think about all the ways in your life that Satan has deceived you. Even before you came to Christ, the the Bible says that he was deceiving you. He blinded your eyes to the truth. Isn't that interesting that the truth that God gives us counteracts 
that lie that Satan brings. This was a, an arsenal of his used in the Garden of Eden, wasn't it? He, he took the Word of God, he twisted it and, and tempted Eve and through Eve, Adam, and, and there was the fall of humankind, and, and there we come to understand that we have broken God's commands and his law, and he is holy, and we are broken and sinful, and we have to come to understand that truth. But we live in a world full of deception. Let's say in the last month, have you said these words, how can they believe that? You just look around you and you, you see people living in that deception. You think, how can they believe that? Let me tell you, Satan has deceived them. He has turned things upside down for them because they are calling good evil and evil good. He is the source of that, but we have been equipped with the belt of truth that, that holds everything together. Everything comes together based upon the truth of God's word. And so God has given us the truth. He's given us the ability to know the difference between right and wrong. The Holy Spirit indwells us to help us to choose right over wrong. He gives us discernment, wisdom, and understanding as this belt of truth is wrapped around us. And as we look at life through the lens of truth, we are well equipped to detect Satan's arsenal of deception. You could also picture his arsenal as landmines as you go through life. He has these deceptive landmines that look so good, but they are so destructive. Very, very deceptive. And you have to be living in the truth to detect and to diffuse those landmines. But God has given us the belt of truth to counter Satan's arsenal of deception. If you look with me at John chapter 8, the gospel of John, the gospel according to John chapter 8, I want you to notice the context of one of those verses that has been used so much out of context. Here Jesus is, re, is addressing the Jewish people and their leaders. They're discussing who they are. But they are blinded to who Jesus is. And so in, in verse 31 it says, Then Jesus said to those Jews, who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Have you heard people just quote the last part of that? The truth will set you free. If you tell the truth, you'll have freedom in your life. Well, okay. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, if you belong to me and you have abided in me, you're going to know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
Because when you are deceived by Satan, you have walked into a trap. And you can be in bondage as a lost person. You can be oppressed and tormented as a believer if you fall into his deception. Therefore, God has given us the belt of truth. Secondly, God has given us the breastplate of righteousness for Satan's arsenal of defilement. Defilement and and sinfulness and contamination. He doesn't want you to feel pure. He wants you to feel filthy. He doesn't want you to focus on grace. He wants you to focus on your guilt. He wants to devastate you with shame because of the defilement in your life. So God has given us the armor of the breastplate of righteousness to come against the defilement that Satan longs to bring in our lives. Notice what it says there in verse 14, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now the reality is, it's described here as dressing up for battle, recognizing and being aware of these pieces of armor. The breastplate of righteousness Now, if you're deceived, you're going to think, oh, I just need to do better. No. I need God to make me better. I can't make myself better. I can't do better. That's why none of us in here still have a live and well New Year's resolution, probably. We can't make ourselves better. We can't improve ourselves. But when we have the breastplate of righteousness given to us by God, he begins to make us better because he works from the outside and from the inside out, not the outside in. The breastplate of righteousness. And the reality is this is not our righteousness at all. We are clothed with the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to us by our Savior. Notice in Philippians, if you turn, take a right there to the next book, Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. Here's one of the most religious men who ever lived, the Apostle Paul. And I'm talking about prior to his conversion, he was very religious. But he says in verse 7, but what things were gained to me, These things I have counted loss for Christ. Then he goes on in Philippians 3.8, But indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Two verses, he already referred to Christ three times. But then notice what he says in verse 9. And I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is of faith through Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith in Christ. Twice he refers to being in him, finding righteousness in him. So if you don't know Christ today, two things have happened to you. 
Satan has deceived you and he is defiling you, contaminating your life with sin, continuing the deception in your life because you you have no concept of righteousness. You have no concept of truth. That's why truth is under attack. That's why righteousness is under attack. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to a nation. And so there's this need for this breastplate of righteousness in an unrighteous world for the Christian to stand out from those who don't know Christ and for us to survive in this battle. And it's not our righteousness, but the righteousness which Christ gives. So here's a perspective for us to begin each day. Father, as I walk through this day, I lay aside my righteousness, which is like filthy rags to you. And I dress myself in the righteousness of Christ, which cannot be penetrated by the attacks of the enemy. So we have the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. Thirdly, the footwear of the gospel of peace to counter Satan's arsenal of despair. Now just think about how we see all of this running rampant in an ungodly society, deception, defilement, despair. But God has given us the footwear of the gospel of peace. You find it there in verse 15, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, you probably didn't go to the shoe store last time and say, after they say, can I help you? Say, yeah, I need to shod my feet with some new shoes. Even in East Texas, that wouldn't make sense. What he's saying is, stand on the truth of the gospel. Have your feet securely in the footwear of the gospel where your your footing is good where your standing is good repeatedly he's talking about standing in the battle and withstanding now he's saying you've been equipped to do that you have the belt of truth the breastplate of righteousness now you you wear the footwear that God in his armory has provided for that arsenal of Satan which is despair He wants you to despair, to live a life of desperation. Satan does. But God wants you to live in the security and the peace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? The gospel is this. Everything Satan has told you about yourself and your sin, he may have been correct. Even your view of your sins, not bad enough. I don't view my sin bad enough. It's horrible in the sight of a holy God. And the gospel is that even though I can't fulfill the righteous requirements of the law, there has been provided a way through the sacrifice of Christ to fulfill that to the full by his sinless, perfect sacrifice as he laid his life down on the cross for us, and as he 
died there for our sin and and rose to give us life. The good news is our sin has been paid for. I don't have to live in despair because I live on this side of an empty tomb. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. He is alive in my heart and in my life through the person of the Holy Spirit. And I have been placed in a right relationship with God in Christ. I could never get there on my own, but in Christ, I I land right there and I stay there and I stand in the gospel of peace. Now, what kind of peace is this? Well, it's peace with God. If you turn to Romans chapter 5, you'll find a picture of what this looks like. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, putting my faith and trust in the sacrifice of Christ and his resurrection, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So what does that say this peace gives us? Hope. Gives us hope. But Satan wants us to live in despair to live as if this is all there is, but, but we stand firm on the gospel of peace. We are at peace with God, and we are hoping for his glory and looking forward to that and anticipating that. I did a graveside this week for a friend of mine that was 100 years old. About five years ago, she had this glorious experience of the peace and the joy of the Lord, and, and, and she was trying to tell me about it then and she was going, I, I just don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. And, and, and I got so caught up in, in telling that story. I was saying, I, I just don't know what to do. I'm so excited for my friend. She's in the presence of God. She has found that glory that she had hoped for. That's the, the gospel of peace. You are at peace. You have peace with God. We were living as enemies of God, living defiant and defiled lives, living in desperation. But by his grace and mercy, he gave Christ that we might live at peace with him. And we are no longer enemies, but now we are his children. And he has given us the gospel of peace upon which we can stand in light of the despair that Satan brings at us from his arsenal. But not only do we have peace with God, the scripture teaches we have the peace of God. Jesus said, I don't give peace as the world gives peace, but peace I leave with you, basically was saying in John 14, 27. John 16, 33 says, Peace be to you. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Be at peace. Where does that peace come from? It comes from God. So when I'm at peace with God, then he fills my life with the peace 
of God. Yesterday, when we took my mother to the emergency room and she ended up having to go into a a room and be admitted in the hospital where we can't go see her. You know what the initial thought might be? Despair. I can't see her. She needs my presence there. No. Father, please fill that room with your presence and your peace. Fill her with your peace. He's so much better as a visitor or a resident, a permanent resident in her life than me being in her hospital room. She is at peace with God and she has the peace of God. When you send your kids into situations where they're at at school or in activities around other people's kids and you're you're praying that they will choose what is right and and they will represent Christ, you, you can have the peace of God because you know God can bring peace and direction into that situation. The peace of God just surrounds it all. If you are standing in that gospel and that forgiveness that comes through that. Each one of these, as you can see, could be preached on for weeks, and I'm not going to do that. So number four, God has given us the shield of faith for Satan's arsenal of doubt. The shield of faith for Satan's arsenal of doubt. In Ephesians 6, 16, it says, Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. I don't want to spoil this uh, before we get there as we go piece by piece, but with that shield, there is something very symbolic there, was, was metal covered in leather that was soaked because they would shoot flaming arrows and darts into battle and it would encompass them and protect them and as they hit that leather they would be extinguished. Have you ever been driving down the road and a Texas bug hit your windshield and you flinched? I mean, when we first moved here, somebody was looking out our window who lives in New Mexico, and they said, man, you have hummingbirds here? I said, that's not a hummingbird, that's a mosquito in Texas. Or a bird hits your windshield and you, you flinch. Why do you flinch? The, the windshield's taking it for you. But it's okay to flinch. But that shield of faith protects you. So just look at this. You have the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. You're standing in the gospel of peace. You're holding the shield of faith. Do you feel secure in that already, just thinking about it? And he knows what those fiery darts need to be in your life. And he'll save them till you don't have that shield up and ready. But daily, pick up your faith and say, I I choose not to doubt today. I believe your promises, God. I believe in you and your holy, righteous, merciful, gracious character. 
and I trust you regardless of what my circumstances might try to make me believe. I will not doubt you. But don't you see a lot of doubt around you? Even in the lives of Christians doubting that God is still in control perhaps or expressing something that makes you think that's what they're thinking and feeling. But the reality is God is still in control. He is still trustworthy and I can hold my shield of faith and I can stand there and trust him. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for and the substance of things not seen. I think I said that backwards. In Hebrews eleven six, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because those who come to him must believe, first of all, that he is, that he exists, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Not those who seek rewards, but those who seek him. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. Why does it say that? Well, by grace are you saved through faith. You, it's faith that gets you standing in the gospel of peace. It's, it's where you come into relations with God, trusting him and the promise of eternal life based upon the sacrificial death of Jesus. And so we have that shield of faith to offset the doubt that is brought so rapidly and ravishingly into our lives. In 1 John chapter 5, I love these words. Verses 4 and 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. The moment you were born into the kingdom of God and you were saved and you experienced salvation and you were in Christ, that moment you were born of God and you have victory over the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, your faith. That's the victory. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. The one who believes in him as expressed in the word of God. He is the son of God and he became the son of man and he gave his life for us and our trust in him gives us victory over the world. You remember he said in the world you will have tribulations but be of good cheer I have overcome the world. We walk in his victory. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us and gave himself for us. Romans 8.37 tells us. So we have that shield of faith that enables us to overcome doubt. Then, fifthly, God has given us the helmet of salvation for Satan's arsenal of death and destruction. Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. His goal is to destroy you, to kill you, and to get you to help in that by self-destructing. Notice what it says in Ephesians 6, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. That protects us from the death and destruction that Satan longs to bring into our lives. We are saved from that. 
We are delivered from that. The fact that we have experienced salvation in Christ gives us that privilege of putting on the helmet of salvation. And in a sense, we are saved. We are standing in the gospel of peace. We are being saved. He is sanctifying us and and increasing our spiritual maturity. We will be saved from the very presence of sin someday. That's the salvation full and free given to us in Christ. And that overcomes Satan's arsenal of death and destruction. Let's all say John 3.16 together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, the salvation gives us victory over death and destruction. We, we shall not perish, but have everlasting life. How long is everlasting? It, it lasts and lasts and lasts and lasts. It's longer than a school year for a student. It's longer than chemo treatments for someone suffering through that. It it outlasts everything. That life he gives us, he gives us freely. And that's the salvation that we have. He is saving us in this life and ultimately he will save us from this life into his presence. Scripture says, he who has the Son of God has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's 1 John 5, 12. 1 John 5, 13 says, I have written these things to you that you might know that you have eternal life. Remember Jesus said, I give them eternal life. And where does he say we are in John 10, 28 and 29? In the Father's hands and no one can snatch them out. We have that security of knowing that I close my eyes here to be there in the presence of the Lord. Salvation gives us victory here and eternal life. Then he goes on in the sixth piece of armor in the armory. It says in verse 17, and the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. Now think about the rest of this armor. You've got the belt of truth, the blessed breastplate of righteousness. You are standing in the footwear of the gospel of peace. You have the, the helmet of salvation. All of that's for protection, the shield of faith. All rather defensive. But now you have the sword of the Spirit the very word of God. God gives us from his armory the sword of the spirit for Satan's arsenal of disorientation. Have you ever been disoriented? A lot of physical conditions can cause that. We're learning more and more about that in the current days in our lives. But just becoming disoriented and confused and getting things mixed up. But if you have the sword of the Spirit, 
It's clear. It's, it's defined. It, it makes sense, doesn't it? But Satan wants you to be disoriented. Here's one way he wants you to be disoriented. He wants you to close this book. And he wants you to think the battle's yours. Because this book tells you the battle's not yours, it's God's. He doesn't want you to know that. He wants you to become disoriented. You, you're not trying to win this battle for God. We don't have to protect God. God protects us as we are in battle for him. We become disoriented sometimes. We, we close this book and we think, well, well, he said, yeah, and it, he tells others this is wrong, but for me, it's okay. And, and I've heard the foolish statement, me and the man upstairs have an understanding. Well, the reality is, if you call him the man upstairs, you have no understanding of his holy, majestic character. And he makes no allowances for us. You're not a special case with him. You're, you're not the exception, but if you close the sword of the spirit and, and it's not speaking into your life in a consistent way, then you become very disoriented to several things. You become disoriented to the word of God. You become disoriented to the ways of God revealed in the word of God. And if you don't understand and fill your mind with the word of God and the ways of God, then you'll never live in the will of God because you're so disoriented. That's how Satan wants you to live. If somebody tells you, I, I just, I don't know about God anymore. I, I, da, 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 da. That's the Hebrew word for that. Da, 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 da. If you talk to them very long, if you question them, uh, when was the last time you just sat and opened your Bible and spent time with God? Probably at that point, the conversation would be awkward. Because I doubt God, I'm disoriented to God when I close His Word and I'm not spending time in His presence. So God has given us the sword of the Spirit. It's an offensive weapon. And it's a weapon that we use to address our thoughts, our desires, our mind completely. Why? Because the Word of God is living and powerful like a two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the thoughts and the intents of the heart Verse 13 says, because it is with him that we have to do and to whom we are accountable. You see, when you close the word, you forget that you are accountable to God. You forget that you're in a battle. You are disoriented in all of your life. But then the passage goes on to the seventh thing and the final thing. Praying always. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Holy Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplications for all the saints. He's just talking about all-encompassing prayer, living a life of prayer, not just trying to develop a prayer life, but living a life of prayer. Again, I don't want to spoil or jump into a future sermon, but you know one thing that Satan wants to do in your life? He wants to shut off your communication with the headquarters of heaven. 
It doesn't matter if you have the sword. It doesn't matter if you are garbed in the armor of God. You are not ready for battle if you are not attuned in prayer to the headquarters of heaven. He is the one with the battle plan and the strategy. It is always creative against the craftiness of the enemy. Just as Joshua stood outside the city of Jericho, God had a plan. Just as Jehoshaphat watched the troops gathering to ambush him, but ending up ambushing themselves, God had a plan. Just as David stood before Goliath, looking like there was no hope and no help for him, God had a plan. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were standing outside the fiery furnace, God had a plan. When Moses stood there with the multitude of people at the Red Sea, God had a plan. And I don't care what you're facing right now, your greatest need is to be in touch with the headquarters of heaven. Be suited in the armor and report for duty. I love what Corey Ten Boom used to say. When we come to God in prayer, we don't come giving orders, we come to report for duty. So just think how different our day would be to walk into God's armory and and just receive from him. It's not like you're taking it. He's giving it and you're receiving it and you're putting it on. You got the sword. And then in prayer, you say, okay, guide me in the battle. Because every day is a battle. You know what's at stake? Number one, the souls of people who desperately need to know Christ and only he can set them free by using people who are suited and ready for battle. You know what else is at stake? The very gospel of Jesus Christ. It's under attack. But that doesn't matter. Remember what Jesus said? The gates of hell cannot stand against them. Like. I don't have to tell you, I'm pretty excited about going through this piece by piece by piece. But isn't that refreshing just to look at the big picture and to walk into his armory and know he's already got everything ready for us, for everything Satan has ready for us. All we have to do is receive it, dress ourselves in it, and move forward in contact with him. So I ask you today, where are you getting your directions from? Your culture? Peer group? Fellow employees, wherever that might be, school, whatever? Or are you getting your marching orders from the headquarters of heaven? That's where we have to live. And we do battle on our knees. When we fall down, just fall down on your knees and keep doing battle. We would like to thank you for joining us for this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. First Baptist desires to be a house of prayer with a heart for people making a difference by making disciples from our neighborhood to the nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, 
please visit www.firstcrockett.org. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you.